We're going to learn through the life of Paul. Then we'll teach the text itself, and hopefully at the end, if we have time, we'll review it. So these are lessons learned from the heart of the Apostle Paul. And first, we're going to see that a pastor's heart and the heart of every believer should be a concerned heart. We should be focused on strengthening others. Guys, it's not about us. It's about others. You've heard that joy is Jesus, others, yourself, right? When we put Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last, we can experience the joy of the Lord. Sadly, too many of us have yoj, amen? We put ourselves first, and then we wonder why we don't have joy. So a pastor should have, first and foremost, and a believer, should have a concerned heart, ministering to the physical needs of others, uh, recognizing it's not about me, it's about ministering to other people. Secondly, a, a compassionate heart. It's one thing to care about people, and it's another thing to put it into action. And compassion is something that we should be uh, exercising as believers every single day. And we'll see that in Paul's case, he was willing to preach to the masses, but he was also willing to minister to the individual. One of the things I'm going to exhort all of you to do, if you don't do this already, I pray, I pray every single morning before I get out of bed for divine appointments. Lord, I pray today that you would use me for your kingdom and for your glory. Give me an opportunity to speak to somebody who doesn't know you about the gospel. Or, Lord, let me encourage another believer. 
And I pray this every single morning. I pray to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And what's amazing is, literally every single day, I get a chance to minister to somebody else. And the reason for that is, as we pray, prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. And when we're praying for divine appointments, we start looking at people as an opportunity to minister to them and to speak into their lives. So not only a concerned heart and a compassionate heart, but also a Christ-centered heart. You know, we need to have intimate fellowship with the Lord. When you wake up in the morning, is he the first thing you think of? Is the passion of your life the Lord, or is it something else? Again, you set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And when we put the Lord first in our lives, and if we don't spend time with the Lord, we're not going to be able to minister to others about the Lord. You know, again, that that relationship begins between you and him first and foremost. We need to have a Christ-centered heart and intimate time with the Lord. If you're too busy to have intimate time with the Lord, then you need to get rid of something else because that's become an idol in your life to make him a priority. See, I can get really get after you guys today because I won't be here next week and you can yell at him. Can I get an amen to that? It's all good. (laughs) So not only a concerned heart, a compassionate heart, and a Christ-centered heart, but a pastor's heart. Now again, this is a message, I, the last time I taught this, I taught this at a pastor's conference with about 1,500 pastors there and exhorting us as pastors. But this is something that every believer should have. Again, pastors have a, a calling upon their lives, but so do all of you. Everybody in this room is called by God. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And as a born-again new creation in Christ, he's gifted you. And when we're You have gifts I don't have, I may have gifts you don't have, and that's how the body of Christ functions when we use our gifts for the kingdom of God. God didn't call us to be pew potatoes, amen? He didn't call us to be the fattest, biggest fed sheep in town. He called us to be used for his glory. The Dead Sea is dead because it's all inlet and no outlet. And God wants to take what God ministers to you here and have you go out into your mission field and be salt and light. Does the Bay Area need Jesus? My goodness, amen? I grew up in Santa Cruz, so I can speak to my own, right? And the reality is, Santa Cruz needs Jesus so desperately. And guys, you're here for such a time as this. And my prayer is, by the way, stick around. Amen? We got that Cal exit, right, right now? And people are leaving like crazy because they find a house for $2 in Texas, and they just leave, right? And we should be led by the Holy Spirit, not moved by Zillow. Amen? We want to make sure that we remain here because this is a mission field like no other. And for such a time as this, you and I are here in this state that so desperately needs Jesus. We'll see a pastor's heart in the heart of a believer first to disciple others. Here's a question I have. Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? We're called to make disciples, not converts, disciples, learners, somebody who's growing in their relationship with the Lord. I want to encourage you that you should have people that you speak into their lives and you should have people that can speak into yours. I've been a pastor for 35 years. I've been a Christian for 55 years. And the reality is I still have people that speak into my life and I'm thankful that I have those that I can speak into theirs as well. It's not only a heart to make disciples, but also a heart to lead by example. When you show up at work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. When you walk into that room, it transforms that place because the Spirit of the living God dwells inside of you. And you are called to be salt and light there. And Billy Graham's not coming to your office. Well, especially not now. He's in heaven. Amen? But you're not going to have, you're going to be the only Jesus some people ever see. And the Lord has you there for a reason. And may you be salt and light. Be led, be in a godly example. And again, we see the motive for ministry should be serving the Lord. And when we serve the Lord, we should serve in all humility. 
Nothing, there's few things that make me more nauseated than when I see somebody being puffed up in the way that they serve God. When I see the worldwide ministry with someone's name underneath it, underneath it, it just makes me sick. Why? Because it's never about us and it's always about him. You know what? I hope you all forget my name and remember his. And too often people are building up their ministry. None of it's my ministry. This isn't my church. This is the Lord's church. We're just uh, you know, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? We're all sinners saved by grace, and we all are in desperate need of the Lord, and we all have struggles in our life, and we need him. So the, the motive for ministry is serving the Lord, and the manner of ministry is serving in humility. But a pastor's heart also has a heart for the lost. How many of you know people that don't know the Lord that you want to see get saved? I'm going to exhort you again. Write them down, write their names down on a list, and commit to praying for them every single day. And pray that God would open a door for you to share your faith with them. And pray that God would bring other people into their life, that the hounds of heaven would hunt them down. Amen? That they would come to know Jesus. And I want to tell you something. It's amazing. I, you know, I, until two weeks ago, along with being a pastor, I had a full-time job the whole time I was a pastor. Even when our church in Santa Cruz got quite large, I continued to work. And the reason is because I saw that as my mission field. And just to give you one example, I had a boss who was a Muslim, and I prayed for her every day. She mocked my faith constantly. We had a, a Bible study at work, and they called us the God Squad, and they didn't mean it in a nice way, but people got saved at work, and she would mock us constantly, and I continued to pray for her. It took 15 years, but I led her to the Lord. She drove all the way down from here to Malibu so I could baptize her in the ocean, and she sends me Bible verses all the time. Guys, we need to pray for people who don't know Jesus, Amen. There's some people, you'll be the only person on this planet praying for them. So I want to encourage you, we need to have a heart for the lost. We need to have a heart led by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure Pastor Bill shared this with you. The Holy Spirit's either with you, in you, or upon you. He's with the world. They call him their conscience. They, that's the only reason the world knows right from wrong. They, they're struggling with that right about now. Amen? But if they know any right from wrong, it's the Holy Spirit with us. But when you're born again, the Holy Spirit goes from being with you to being in you. You're filled with the Spirit. You walk in the fullness of the Spirit. But it's important to note, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said to the apostles, he breathed the Spirit in them, but he said, go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. So he's either with you, in you, or upon you. The upon is the overflowing of the Holy Spirit. My dad used to say, baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, whatever you want to call it, just get it. Amen? And notice in Acts, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and that same Peter who wimped out and ran away and hid when a little girl saw him in a fire and said, you're one of his followers, once filled with the Holy Spirit, he got up, preached with boldness, and 3,000 people got saved. You know what we need more of? Less of us and more of the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning in our lives. Amen? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then a heart focus on eternity. The Bible says to set your mind on things above. Oh, sorry, I'm going to get emotional. Didn't plan on this, just, hit, hit, just grief hits you sometimes. So 18 months ago, my 28-year-old son, who'd been struggling with depression since he was 13 years old, uh, took some Xanax that had fentanyl in it, and I found him in the morning. I did CPR on my son. He died in my arms. But you know what? Because he knew the Lord. Because God sent his son to die, I'm going to see my son again. Amen. And the reality is that we as believers need to have an eternal focus. I've heard people say that someone's so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I've never met that person. Here's what I meet. People are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. And as believers, we should be focused on eternity. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're alive. Amen? 
There's a vapor of time on this planet. Where you spend eternity is what really matters. It won't matter. And again, be the best worker in the building. Be salt and light where you are. That is your mission field first. Honor God in the way that you work. But may we have an eternal focus. Because guys, there's a day coming when we're going to see Jesus face to face. And there's no more pain and no more sorrow and no more depression and no more death. And we're going to be around the throne worshiping our Savior. And praise God for that. Amen? Not only an eternal focus, but also have a heart for God's word. This is 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradiction. Do you know how that's possible? Because God wrote it, amen? And this is not the 10 suggestions, amen? This is the word of God. He wrote it down for us. And the word of God, God's word and his law is not something to keep you. It's not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. God's word isn't keeping you from fun. It's keeping you from harm. He's our perfect heavenly father. He knows what's best for us. He wrote it down for us. And we as all, of all people are the most blessed who've ever lived because we, we have more access to God's word than anyone's ever had. You can listen to the word in, in, the, in your car. You've got apps that let you listen. I listen to the word every night when I go to sleep. And I just play it and let it take me to sleep. We have more access to it, and yet often we don't open it. We need to open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? May we be people of the word. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. We want to study the whole counsel of God. Ruth is as inspired as Romans, Leviticus as Luke. Everything in the Bible should be studied. And when it's studied in its entirety, it's studied in proportion. So the message of the ministry is to declare the whole counsel of God. We probably won't get to it, but finally there's a shepherd heart, a heart for God's people. So let's begin there in verse 1 of Acts chapter 20. So this is the final third of the book of Acts. Let me give you some context, because when you take a text out of context, I get left a con, amen? And that's how people preach stuff, and they take stuff from all over the Bible and try to make it say anything. We want to understand who's writing, what's happening when this takes place. So as we come to this section... There's just been, in chapter 19, there's been a riot in Ephesus. And by the way, everywhere Paul went, he started a revival or a riot, and often both. And praise God for anybody who walks in the room and stirs up the whole building, amen? So Paul was fearless, but he was also fearless because he was a man who walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He was a man who was, again, the greatest persecutor of the church of Saul, as Saul of Tarsus, who became a mighty man of God, which lets us all know that there's nobody beyond salvation, and God can take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God saved you that he might use you for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? But when he was in Ephesus, he started preaching the gospel, and they were big on the goddess Diana. If you know the Bible, you know this story. And when all these people started getting saved, all the people started taking their Diana idols and setting them on fire. Well, the, God, the people that made idols of Diana didn't like that because that was their living. And so they started a riot. And they all started screaming, great is the goddess Diana. For hours they screamed it. And sadly, again, they were, it's like the rioters today. I don't think they even knew why they were there. We're rioting for something. I don't know what it is. We'll just be here and scream, right? And there's a mentality, sadly, that what people needed is the Lord. And, and at the end of that, Paul ends up leaving. Now, he doesn't leave because of rioters. He's leaving because the Holy Spirit has moved upon his heart. He's headed toward Jerusalem. He's collected money from the local churches because the people in Jerusalem were suffering under the, you know, the tyranny of what was going on in Jerusalem at the time. And these Christians were being fed to lions. Christians were being arrested. And so he's bringing to those believers uh, a love offering from the other churches. So he's headed towards Jerusalem. And on the way, he's going to have a bunch of divine appointments. And that's what we're going to look at 
this morning. So beginning with a concerned heart, Paul had two goals in mind as he went to these various churches. First, to encourage and strengthen the saints so they might stand true and faithful to the Lord and effective witnesses. And second, to finish taking the collections for those who were needy among them. So let's look there, beginning in verse 1, looking at a concerned heart. It says there, after the uproar had ceased, so that uproar is the riot that was taking place. So he didn't leave because of the riot. He wasn't going to run. By the way, you got to love the Apostle Paul. And one of the reasons he's so fearless is we know that he was stoned to death in Lystra. They threw rocks at him until he died. Some will debate whether he died or not. I th- when they stoned you, they made sure you were dead. Believers came around, they prayed for him, he got up. And then he walked right back into Lystra. Now, why did he have such boldness? Well, I believe what Paul later would say, I know of a man who was caught up into the third heaven. And he talks about getting a glimpse of heaven. And after getting a glimpse of heaven, you couldn't threaten him with heaven. Because once he was stoned, he went right back into the city. And I think he's like, dude, I'm right here. I'm still going to preach the gospel. You want to throw rocks at me? I know where I'm going. So you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? So he doesn't leave out of fear anywhere. But there's an uproar. And God's stirring his heart that he needs to go to Jerusalem and minister to the people there. He says, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. I always highlight this because I'm the hugging pastor at my church. I hug everybody. They can't get out of the building without a hug. If they don't like getting hugged, they better go to church somewhere else. Because here's the reality. If Jesus would hear, was here, would he hug you? Amen? And we know the apostle Paul would. Look, every time we have church, it's like a family reunion. You know, it's been said that blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. When you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. Amen? And here's Paul. He's leaving. They, he was there in Ephesus for three years. He was their pastor for three years. His heart was broken that he had to leave them. And often when we have to leave and go somewhere else, it breaks our heart because we have this family that we've come to be a part of. And that was Paul's heart. He didn't want to leave. But at the same time, sometimes God calls us to leave because he has another calling upon our lives. And so he embraces the the disciples there. He's going to move on. And notice what it says there. He embraced them and departed. Now when he had gone over the region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. So he's saying goodbye to those he's been pastoring for three years. God's got a calling on his life to get to Jerusalem. We're going to find out later that he knows when he gets to Jerusalem that people are going to be waiting there to try to kill him. But he's going anyway. And on the way, he's going to have these divine appointments and opportunities to speak into people's lives. Macedonia was a part of Greece. It was divided into four uh, different regions by Alexander the Great. Uh, Greece, Macedonia, Syria, and Egypt. And he wanted to encourage and strengthen the saints so they might stand true to the Lord. And he was collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Verse 3. And he stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return to Macedonia. So he was on his way and he wanted to be in Jerusalem in time for Passover. It's not going to happen. And sometimes we have plans for our life and God has another plan. And we, we, you know, we plan, we write things down, we, we plan our path, and then God comes in and decides that something else is going to happen. I used to tell our church in Santa Cruz all the time, I will be here till I die. Well, that didn't happen because that was my plans. But we want God's plan, not our own. Amen? 
God had another plan. I, now I pastor a church in Southern California. Leaving the church in Santa Cruz after 10 years was heart-wrenching because that's my family. But guys, we're here not for our own comfort, but to be used for the Lord, for his kingdom, and for his glory. So the Jews had plotted against him. Once again, Paul had changed his plans because the Jewish plot to kill him at sea. And isn't this ironic that he was the, guy, the Jewish guy trying to kill the Christians, and he was the leader of that group, and now he's the one that's being hunted by those very same Jews. Paul walking in obedience, his life is bearing much fruit, he's facing heavy persecution. They wanted to silence Paul and steal, to steal money that he was carrying to go to Jerusalem. Instead of sailing from Corinth, he traveled by and through the land of uh, Achaia and Macedonia, sailing from Philippi on his way. So here he is, his plans get changed. But you know what? When your plans get changed, divine appointments happen. You think that something was moved and you, you don't understand why it happened. And, and when I left Santa Cruz, one of the things I did say is I know that God has a place for me. I will be somewhere preaching to somebody. And now the church I'm a part of now, I can't imagine leaving them. But I don't tell them I'll be here for the rest of my life because we know that God is in control, not me and not you. Amen? And so when things happen, does God love you? What's the answer? He loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. Amen? He loves you so much he's willing to suffer as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. That's our God. And so if he has another plan for you, we need to trust him. Amen? And we need to praise him for it. So Paul, with the heart of a pastor, he has a concern for his people he didn't cry, he didn't quit, he didn't complain. Every time his people were attacking him, he just saw God's hand upon it. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in him, Job said. You know, no matter what the world, again, nothing can happen to us unless it goes through the hand of God first. But I also want to say, everybody in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. You cannot find one example of anybody in Scripture that was used mightily that didn't suffer greatly. So we as believers, a lot of times we just want to be comfortable. We're not supposed to be comfortable. That's why he has to send the comforter to comfort us because we're supposed to be uncomfortable. Because, guys, this is not our home. Amen? We're aliens here. And so Paul, he knew it. He goes into a town. He's there three months, and they're plotting to kill him. And now he's moving on to another place and trusting that God has more of a plan for him. Verse 4 and 5. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus, Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. I love this list. By the way, anything in the Bible is in there for a reason. Aristarchus is where we get the word aristocrat. And this is a name for a very wealthy person. Secundus, when they would name their slaves, they're primo, secundus. So in this group that's traveling with him is a very, very wealthy man and a man who was once a slave. Guys, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. We're all one in Christ. Amen? There's no, there's no deviation in who we are in him. You know, some of the best songs you ever sing in your life you learn in Sunday school. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Can I get an amen to that? We're all, you know, again, we have the Holy Spirit in common. So he's traveling. He's got these guys who've made the collections as well. They're traveling with Paul to bring this gift. And at that time, though, he breaks off with Luke, who wrote this book, and the two of them spend some time away together as they're headed toward Jerusalem. Verse 6. But we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and five days joined them at Troas when, they, when we stayed seven days. 
days. So sailing against the wind, this two-day trip took five days. In our walk with the Lord, we're going to face smooth sailing, but we're also going to face rough seas at times. How many guys are going through a difficult time right now? Almost every hand's up in the room. And here's the reality. If you're trying, to, happiness is based on your life being perfect. So that's why people aren't happy very often. But joy has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has everything to do with who we are in Christ. And the, t- the key is this, that we know that storms are coming, but the good news is the Lord is with us. And so they were going through a storm. They were being attacked on every side. Everywhere he went, people were you know, coming after Paul, and they're persecuting him for standing up for the faith. And a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Amen? If guys, if we have not been tested by the things of this world, if we don't stand faithful, you know, it's been said that Christians are like tea bags. You find out what's on the inside when you put it in some hot water. Amen? It's easy to be that Christian on the cruise ship, but that's not the life that we live. It's a spiritual battle that we fight. And the Apostle Paul recognized, this is God's calling on my life. When the world attacks me, I'm not surprised by it. But here's the good news. When the rough seas kick up, remember that Jesus is in the boat with you. Amen? Remember the disciples are going over to the other side? Remember the Lord promised, the waves are kicking up, they're all panicking. And what's Jesus doing in the boat? He's sleeping. And they were panicking because their eyes were on their waves, and they would have been at peace if their eyes had been on Jesus. Amen? And I want to encourage you, if the waves are kicking up, keep your eyes off the storm, keep your eyes on the Lord. He's in the boat with you. He's a faithful God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's written your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's adopted you into his family. And praise God that you're never alone in any trial you will ever go through in this life. Amen? And God will use even that for his glory if you will let him. So the first thing we see is a concerned heart. Focus on strengthening and encouraging the saints. Ministering to the physical needs of the church in Jerusalem. But notice also he has a compassionate heart. Luke gives us a a brief report of the local church service in Troas. Notice what it says there. Now on the first day of the week. Don't tell that to your landlords. Now on the first day of the week. When the disciples came together to break bread. Paul ready to depart the next day, spoke with them, and continued his message until midnight. How many guys would stay here till midnight? You know, I will say this, though. When, when the Holy Spirit is speaking, two hours is nothing. Five hours is nothing. When men are speaking in their own strength, five minutes is painful. Amen? Once had a buddy say to me, he goes, I told my pastor I'm leaving because if you won't bother studying, I'm not going to bother listening. Amen? And we are to study to show ourselves approved. But notice that here Paul is. He's got, a, he's got a place he has to be. The first day of the week, they still observed the Sabbath in those days. So they worked on Sundays. And so at the end of the day on Sunday, after the end of a work day, Paul was in town. The people heard it. So they all gathered together and they were hungry to hear what he had to say. Now, I'm most, I know many of you probably don't come from a Calvary Chapel background, but what I would I shared at the pastor's conference was Pastor Chuck, who's now in heaven. If you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution movie, you need to go see it. Amen. But Pastor Chuck, I said, I said to these guys, if Pastor Chuck was going to be in town and he was going to teach, I don't think we'd, it would bother us if he spoke till midnight, especially if we knew it was the last time we were going to see him. And so here's in town, and he goes in, and Paul was a tent maker, and Paul was a, a guy who, had a, who worked as well, and he taught until midnight. So these guys have been working hard all day. They're in the, they gather together, and, and, they're, and he's preaching to them. Uh, it's hot. It's very hot in the Middle East. How many of you guys are going to Israel with us, by the way? I'm going with you. I can't wait. Looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. 
So, and, and it was very hot. And so what they would do is they would be sitting up there. A lot of times they'd be holding candles and lanterns and carbon, you know, and we're going to see what happens when somebody's been working all day and they get tired, but they're still trying to be there in the, in the midst of it. And watch what happens. There were many lamps in the upper room. They were gathered together in the window, said a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from this third story and was taken up dead. I've had a lot of people sleep while I'm teaching. I don't think anybody's died. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. But he's teaching. Now, Paul could have been upset that this guy fell asleep. People at our church will do this because, you know, like you guys, they all work. And we have our midweek study, and people will come and they'll fall asleep. They worked a hard day, and they'll come up and apologize to me. My heart's always the same. Look, I'd rather have you catch half the message than none of it. I get it. You worked all day. It's totally fine. Just come. It's okay. I'd rather have you come. So Eutychus, God bless him. This young man, you know, he's a young man. He worked hard all day, but he wanted to hear Paul. But at the same time, he starts to nap, and he falls out the window. Where's the brother standing next to him holding that brother up? Can I get an amen to that? Three-quarter strand's not easily broken. Who's napping? Hold on to that guy, right? And so they're meeting on the Lord's Day, and they're gathered together. It's late at night. He falls out the window. And so what did Paul do? Look at verse 10. Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him and said, that's what happens when you fall asleep during my amazing messages. That's not what he said. <laughs> what did he say? Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is still in him. Now when he had come up and had broke bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. See, Paul, even though he's preaching to the masses, he still cares about the individual. And what I encourage people with is, so maybe you're not ever going to be a, a pastor, but we've all got ministries we're called to. And we should be just as prepared to teach five five-year-olds as would, if we would to teach 5,000 people in the stadium. Amen? We should minister to people. I got saved in the uh, in the First Baptist Church of Wilmington in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class in 1968. I was five years old. And when we went to her house to visit, she had a picture of every kid in the five-year-old class on her fridge. And she was praying for every single one of them every single day. And when I got sick and had my tonsils out uh, when I was that age, um, the first person to come visit me was Mrs. Green and to pray for me. And do you know that everything I've done in my life, every ministry I've been involved in is on her account because she was faithful with a bunch of five-year-olds in that little Baptist church in Wilmington. Amen? And guys, so we want to be faithful to what we're called to do. And we want to not just look at the crowd as being important, but every individual is important. See, he stopped preaching to the masses to go minister to the, per, to the individual. And guys, when you're praying for divine appointments, you're going to see, you're gonna, God's going to pierce your heart for a guy who's sitting on the side of the road. There'll be somebody in your office that seems to be discouraged that God will move you to go talk to. Guys, divine appointments happen every day. And Paul was a man who had a heart of compassion. The compassion brought the one who had fallen asleep back into fellowship. And it's compassion that will bring others into fellowship with Almighty God. You know, again, we, are, we know the love of God and other people need to see the love of God. They need to experience the love of God. And we're the tool in his hand that God chooses to use. Point number three, not only a compassionate heart, caring not just for the masses but for the individual, but a Christ-centered heart. Let's begin there in verse 13. 
And it says, And when they sailed ahead on the ship to Asos, they're intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilian. So here's what he does. He, teached all, he taught all night, and then they got in a boat, and he didn't go with them. And what he did instead is he walked 25 miles after being up all night. Now, why in the world would he do that? Let me tell you why. Because he knew he needed to have one-on-one time with the Lord. He'd been ministering to the masses. He's been ministering to the individuals. But he understood that without intimate time with the Lord, we can't minister to others for the Lord. Amen? And guys, so often what we're doing is we're pouring out ministering to others, but we're not spending intimate time with God. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll be super transparent. I've been, like I said, I've been a pastor 35 years. I teach twice a week and sometimes three times, four times a week. Each message takes 20 to 25 hours to prepare. So it's real easy to have all your time be spent preparing to teach somebody else. And one of the convictions God has put in my heart, I have to put my pen away, because here's what happens. I start reading a text, and I'm outlining it in my head. And, oh, there's an application. That'll preach, right? And the reality is that what I need to do is open the Bible with nothing in my hand, with not, something I'm not going to teach, and just let the Lord speak to me. And my prayer is that all of us would take time where you're just hanging out with Jesus. You open up the Word of God, you let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, and again, read the whole counsel of God. So he had intended one thing for himself, but God had another plan. Since we sailed from there, and the next day we came to Chios, and following day we arrived at Samos and stayed in Trigilium the next day to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so we would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, by Pentecost. Earlier he said he wanted to be there by Passover. Pentecost is 50 days later. He's not going to make it by then either. Because God has more divine appointments. And see, for us, as, as, how many guys are super organized? You write all your stuff down. You make these plans, right? God's, yeah, okay. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes God says, no, it's good, to be, it's good to be organized. It's a good thing to do. It's good to be disciplined. All those things are true. But we must never allow those plans that we make to deter us from the, God, the plan that God has for us. Amen. God may have something completely different that you didn't even expect. Don't be so in a hurry to stay on your, you know, on your schedule that you walk right by divine appointments and opportunities to share with somebody whose eternity lies in the balance. Amen? That's Paul. He understood it. Now watch what happens. From my allegiance, he sent for the Ephesian elders and called sent for Ephesus and called for the elders. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia... In what manner I always lived among you. So here's what Paul does. First thing Paul does is he calls for the elders. So if you've never been to a pastor's conference before, you're about to be at one. This is the first one ever. Because what does Paul do? He had been in Ephesus for three years. Now he's been traveling for many months. He's been several places. And he calls for the Ephesian elders 30 miles away. So these guys drop everything. And they come to hang out with Paul. They said goodbye to him. They didn't know they'd spend more time with him. And so they come this great distance. And now Paul is going to speak into their lives. And I'm going to give it away a little bit. Knowing that this is going to be the last time he ever sees them. So he calls them together. They travel a great distance. And the first thing he tells these guys, these other pastors. By the way, bishop, pastor, and elder. Okay, the, the, church, the church of America and all over the world has messed that up. They say the bishop oversees the pastors, the pastor oversees the elders, and the elders are the leaders, uh, you know, the other leaders in the church. 
Bishop, pastor, and elder speaks to the same guy throughout Scripture. These guys called elders here in verse 28 are called, a bishop, called bishops. A bishop describes what a pastor does, what a man leading does. He oversees the people. A pastor or elder describes who he is. He's a spiritually mature man. And pastor describes how he does it with the heart of a shepherd. So it's all the same guy. So we don't delineate between them. The, the church I pastor, the elders are the pastors, the pastors are the elders. The same was true when Bill was with me. And that's, we're all the same. We're all on that same plane. And so he calls all these pastors together. And the first thing he says to them, he doesn't say, let me teach you how to prepare a sermon. He didn't say, this is the best way to draw a crowd. What does he say? When they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day I came to you, indeed the manner I always lived among you. One of the most important things for us as believers, in this case as a pastor, but for us as believers, he was pointing first to his own character. When you look in the Bible of the qualifications for a pastor in 1 Timothy 3, there's 15 qualifications for a pastor. 14 speak of character, only one speaks of gifting. And we get all excited when somebody's a really gifted teacher. But I would much rather have a man of godly character that I can teach how to teach the Bible than someone who's a great teacher who doesn't have godly character. Amen? And so Paul's first thing to say to them is, you know how I've lived. I've lived it in front of you. Now, he's not being arrogant. He's just letting them know that's the most important thing is my own walk with the Lord, my own relationship with God. I don't have any right to teach anybody anything else if my own walk with the Lord is not the way that it should be. We're called to be above reproach, without accusation from the outside. People should look at us and see that there's something different. Now, again, Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And because we walk with the Lord, have a relationship with him, we view our sin in a different way. I hate, you know whose sin I hate the most? The sin of my life. How about you? And I feel that Holy Spirit conviction when I sin. You know, uh, this is how the Holy Spirit convicts me. I call it the Holy Spirit head slap. Every time I sin, that's why I don't have any hair back there anymore. That's what happens. But the, the point is the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to both comfort us but also to convict us. And praise God for that. And so he's saying, look, you guys know my character. And he's letting them know the most important thing for them as pastors, but the most important thing for us as believers is that we be godly men and women of character. Because what happens is if you preach one thing and you live another way, you're just another hypocrite who will be ineffective for the kingdom of God. Amen? Guys, we want to live what we preach. We want to not just walk the talk the talk, we want to walk the walk. And so he exhorts them first about his character and again, the kind of man that he's been. And he says, you've seen my life, you can examine it. Now watch his motive for ministry. What, why does he do ministry? Why should you serve here? Why should you, oh, cause just because somebody needs it? Okay, I'd be part of it. But why should you do anything to serve? Here's why, verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and many tears and trials which have happened to me by, my plotting, by the plotting of the Jews. The first thing was, he was serving the Lord. Guys, when we're do anything we do, we want to do as unto the Lord. And we don't give the Lord the rest, we give the Lord our best. Amen? We don't give him the last five minutes of our day. We don't have 57 hobbies. Uh, I'm I, talking to a guy in our church recently. He goes, I just don't have time. I just really don't have enough time to read my Bible. And then I heard him five minutes later talking about he was going through Breaking Bad for the fifth time on Netflix. So I was like, bro, when you know more about Breaking Bad than you know about Jesus Christ, there's a problem. Can I get an amen to that? 
But the point is that where, when you're serving the Lord, when he's the passion of your life, the, that's the priority. Our motive is to serve the Lord. So if you hand out bulletins, hand out bulletins for Jesus. Amen? If you're making coffee, make coffee for Jesus. If you're serving the children's ministry, serving the children's ministry for Jesus. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord for his glory and do it, as he says here, with humility. Because God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God doesn't need us, we need him. Amen? We're not called to please people, but to please the Lord. His motive for service was his love for God, not a desire to be popular with men. We must never elevate pleasing people above faithfully serving the Lord. During COVID, we did the two weeks, and then I said, that's it. We're open. Some of you will disagree with me, and that's okay. I'll answer to God. But I just said, look, if, if Home Depot is open and strip clubs are open and, and uh, the liquor stores are open, and, and then I said, well, if Home Depot is open, maybe we should just have church in Home Depot then. <laughs> right? They're open. But here's the reality. My heart is, look, and we told people that are, that are concerned, I said, look, if, you, if you're concerned about your health, stay home and watch on live stream. That's totally fine. But we're going to forsake not the gathering ourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. We don't obey man, we obey God. And when man tells us we can't meet, we're going to disobey man and we're going to obey the Lord. Amen. And so you know what? I told our people, if the black plague comes out and everybody's dying with getting within 50 feet of each other, we're still going to have church and we'll just all go to heaven together. Amen? But the reality is what happens is we are so concerned with pleasing men and being faithful to men that we lose sight on what's really important is eternal. Amen? I had other pastors call me. You don't care about your people. I care about their eternity. And I, and I encourage those who were concerned that they could watch on live stream. But here's the whole point. The motive for ministry was serving the Lord, doing with humility, and making sure that he was doing it in a way to please God, not trying to please men. Paul served with humility, endured heartache and trials, stonings and beatings. And again, no suffering is wasted, but his love for the Lord and desire to serve him was his motive for ministry. Notice here in verse 20, how I held, I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul, again, wherever he went, he started a revival or a riot. And everywhere he went, he was looking for an opportunity to share his faith, whether it was with a crowd or with just a few. There was a fourfold ministry of Jesus. He had the, he had the crowd, the 70, the 12, and the three. The crowd he spoke to in parables. And he would, would teach them, and often they would hear it, and they would walk away and leave. But then, then we had a group of disciples that he spoke to more. Within them were the 12 apostles. But then within them were the three, Peter, James, and John. He took them on the Mount of Transfiguration. He took them when he went to pray in the garden. And, you know, as believers, we should have, we should speak to the crowd, but we should have those people that we're discipling, those people that we have a more intimate fellowship with. I said to the guys at the retreat this weekend, Christians don't stab each other in the back, we should stab each other in the front. And what I mean by that is that we need to have people in our life that love us enough that when we're getting off track, will call us up and take us out to a coffee and say, bro, what's up? I've seen this in your life. We don't gossip about each other, but we need to come to each other and love each other enough to tell each other the truth. Amen. And it's just to, and by the way, Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Amen? We're called to fellowship. Three chord strand is not easily broken. We need to be intimate fellowship with one another. So the message of the ministry was taught both publicly to the crowds, but also privately house to house. But what did he teach? Look at verse 21. Testifying to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The message of Paul was repentance. 
The message of Jesus was repentance. The message of all the apostles was repentance. The message of the Old Testament prophets was repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what, the word repent, there's a lot of pastors who are afraid to say it because they think it sounds too hellfire and brimstone. And here's the reality, hell's real too, by the way. Amen? And I'd rather tell you about it than have you experience it. But here's what repentance means. It means my life is headed in this direction. I'm on the throne of my life. I'm serving myself. I'm serving my flesh. And then repent means to change your mind or to change your heart, to change your direction where you turn away from serving your flesh and yourself and you turn around and you surrender your life fully to the Lord. And you make him more than just your savior. You make him the Lord of your life. You surrender your life to him. You make him the king of kings, the Lord of lords. There's only one room for one person on the throne of your life. It's either you or it's the Lord. Amen. And so repentance is what he preached. He preached it house to house. He preached it to the crowds. He shared it with individuals. And again, praise God for his boldness just to be faithful. Guys, if you really love people, you know, it's been said that friends don't let friends drink and drive. I would say friends don't let friends burn in hell. Can I get an amen to that? We want to see people saved. Now, again, we can't save anybody. We know that. We know that God does it. But we, some plant, some water, some reap a harvest, and we're called to share the truth. There are people that are so desperately in need of being ministered to, and they can't find the answers. You know, you have that God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. You can't fill it with, you know, sex won't do it, drugs won't do it, money won't do it, position won't do it, power won't do it, strength won't do it. You know, all those things, popularity, followers on TikTok, whatever. All these things that people are trying to get that think that that will give me the peace I've been looking for. There's no peace apart from the Prince of Peace. Amen? And so he's sharing this truth, and he's preaching it with boldness to anybody who will listen, and we can do it. Preach the truth and do it in love. Amen? I have a six-word philosophy of ministry. It's preach the word, love the people. One of the, mo- the best-fed, most-loved people. He had a Christ-centered heart. He taught a Christ-centered gospel. His motive was serving the Lord. The manner was in all humility, and the message was repentance and coming to faith in the Lord. Notice also... I guess we, we look at that, we looked at the, looking at the Christ-centered heart. We see this as a pastor, his manner of ministry is serving in humility. He's got this heart for the lost. But notice here what it says here in verse 22. It says, And see now I go bound in, in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that saying that chains and tribulations await me. How many of you, if you knew that if you, if you went and shared your faith with your coworkers or if you took a stand for the Lord, that you'd be thrown in prison? How many would still do it? You know, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. We're speaking to Timothy. And in speaking to Timothy, exhorting Timothy, he told him that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. He told that to Timothy when Christians were being fed to lions. And he's pastoring a church in Jerusalem where they're being, they're being put to death, they're being covered in pitch and set on fire. And he didn't tell them, go hide until this blows over. He said, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And here the Apostle Paul is exhorting them, but letting them know, I know that when I get to Jerusalem, I don't know what's in front of me, I just know the chains await me. But I'm going anyway. And again, as believers, are we, you know, are we, cruise ship Christians? Are we only serving the Lord when it, when it doesn't cost me anything? 
Or are we faithful to serve the Lord knowing that it will cost me something? Making a stand for the Lord when no one else would. We looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at the retreat. And, you know, he had three men stand when everybody else bowed to an idol. And it was, it's much easier to go with the flow. Any dead fish can go with the flow, right? We can all just be like the world, and the world won't bother us. But we're called to be salt and light. We're called to be different. We're, we're born-again new creations in Christ living in a lost and a dying world. He knew what was coming, but he didn't try to escape. He wasn't living for his comfort, but for God's glory. And guys, it's time to stop, you know, looking out for our comfort. The Lord is always with you, and he's a faithful God. So here he is. He knows it's coming. Now, here's one of my life's verses. I've got a lot of them, but this is one of them. And it should be the life verse maybe for all of us. Look at verse 24. So he knows that persecution's coming. He knows when he gets there, chains await him. He's been told by the Holy Spirit repeatedly, you're going to go there and it's not going to be easy. You, you, may, you're, you may lose your life. And then he says this, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. Because he was so Christ-centered, he would not be moved by anything the world wanted to dish out. And again, we're being reminded that anything that comes to us must go through God's hand first. So if God allows it, God will use it for his glory if we will but let him. Nothing this world had to dish out would sway him from his calling. And again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. He tr his, the threats wouldn't move him. Temporal life meant nothing to him. Faith stepping out when, when it seems impossible was his heart. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's been said, every, everyone who wears a crown in heaven will have carried a cross on earth. You know, we want to live our lives with an eternal perspective, wanting to minister to a lost and a dying world, to share with them the hope that lies within us, knowing that many times it's going to cost us something to do so. I said this often, and forgive me if you disagree, and that's okay. I don't think COVID changed the church. I think it revealed it. There's churches in my area that still haven't opened. It's been two and a half years. I'm like, how do you have church if you're not there? And the point I'm making is that some people, persecution or anything that could come their way, and they just give up. And again, as godly men and women, we should be able to stand for the Lord and recognize we serve him and him alone. Physical circumstances would not alter his eternal perspective. You could not, again, threaten him with heaven. So none of those things would move him. What moves you? What is it that's the priority and the passion of your life? What is the thing that you put, and it's between you and the Lord, that you put ahead of your walk with God? Too often this is what will happen too. Uh, and I, I've seen this so many times. One quick illustration. We had a guy in, in Lancaster's back in the 90s. And God was really doing a work in this young man's life. And he was really growing, and I was discipling him, and he started teaching the men's study. His wife and his kids were on fire for the Lord. And then he got a job offer, a job promotion offer to move to the other side of the country, and he was going to make quite a bit of more money. So he just comes into me the next day and said, oh, I took this job offer, and I'm moving. And I said, look, if that's what the Lord has for you, you should go, but do not be moved by finances. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Here's the tragic part. He moved. Two years later, I got a call from his wife. They never found a church where they went. Their marriage fell apart. Her husband got fired from his job. His kids were all struggling. And again, I'm just saying that, look, God may move you. He's moving Paul right in this chapter. He may move you, but make sure it's the Holy Spirit moving you, not your fleshly desires. Amen? 
And sometimes the enemy will use the temptation of a better position or more money or a bigger house or whatever it is to draw you away from that which is eternal. Now, God can allow you to have the bigger house and have you keep getting promoted in your job and use you as you're being promoted. And praise God for that. But just make sure it's the Lord leading you, not your fleshly desires. Don't be moved by the world. Be moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let him and him alone move you. Verse 25. Indeed, I now, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Now imagine being these Ephesian elders who served with him for years and hearing, I'm never going to see you guys again. Now, I've been with people on their deathbed many times. And the words that they speak at the end of their life, do you think they carry some weight? When the, when, the, when, the, when the grandpa's there with his kids and his grandkids and he's telling them how much he loves them and he's exhorting them to, to finish strong with the Lord and whatever those words are and to take care of grandma and all these kinds of things, when those words, those last words are heavy and these are the last words that these Ephesian elders are going to hear from Paul, at least as far as they know. And so now he's going to tell them. And so these words carry a heavy weight. And they should carry a heavy weight for us. Hearing the Apostle Paul sharing his heart with these Ephesian elders, these pastors in Ephesus. You're not going to see me anymore, at least not on earth. Then it says this in verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What he's saying is, and the last, one of the last things he says to them is, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. See, nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. Amen? Now, it's not sermonettes for Christianettes. Amen? We don't, we don't just, you know, teach topical here, seven steps to financial freedom and three ways to overcome your anger and Beaver doesn't live here anymore in the series and the roller coaster ride of life and stop it. Amen? First of all, God wrote this. Can you improve on how he wrote it? I, there was a guy that came out and said, anybody who just teaches through the Bible is lazy. What I would tell you is anybody who doesn't teach through the Bible needs to start doing it. Can I get an amen to that? There can be topical studies that are great. I'm not downplaying that. But if you got a letter in the mail from a friend that was 20 pages long, would you go to page 7 and read a sentence? Then go to page 14 and read a sentence? And then to page 20 and read a sentence and then try to jam them all together to make sense of it? Again, you take a text out of context, how you left the con. What does he say? Guys, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I started in Matthew, and we started in Matthew and Genesis at the church I'm at now. We're in Revelation, and we're in 2 Chronicles. Just teach the whole counsel of God. And praise the Lord that you have a pastor that does that. Amen? That the word of God, it's not about hitting topics. Oh, we need to raise money, so we're going to preach on giving. Hey, we need this. We're going to preach on this. Guys, when you teach the whole counsel of God, you teach it in proportion to the way God gave it to you. Amen? You're not going to have, you, you, I, there's people I see on the radio, here on the radio, they talk about giving every week. We have a thermometer on the wall, and God, you know, God wants to bless you, so give us money. I, it's amazing how you always plant your seed in their garden. It's amazing how that works. But the reality is, uh, let's teach the whole counsel of God. And this is an exhortation for pastors, but it's an exhortation for believers that you should read the whole counsel of God and you should be a, a fellowshipping at a church where the whole counsel of God's being taught. Amen? And when you teach the whole counsel of God, your toes are going to get stepped on. And I tell people, if you go to a church where you're not getting convicted, go find another church because the word of God is convicting. Amen? And if your toes get stepped on, your feet are in the wrong place and they need to be stepped on. Amen? 
So the word of God, he says, I'm going to teach the whole counsel of God, and that's the exhortation. And I'll tell you what, even if you're teaching in children's ministry, I don't know what, what you guys are using, but you know, make sure you're teaching them through. Amen? We're not entertaining kids. We're not babysitting. We're equipping that next generation. Let the little children come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? You know what this means? Pastors who don't declare the word of God are guilty of the blood of those that they never taught. Nothing less than a whole Bible, again, makes a whole Christian. So, finally, warning about the future. We'll close with this. He says here, beginning in verse 28, so he's telling them, teach the whole counsel of God. And then he says, therefore, take heed to yourselves, to all the flock among the who the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. How do you determine the value of something? What somebody is willing to pay for it. Amen? I bought this watch like 10 years ago for like 100 bucks. It's been great. If it was 10 grand, I wouldn't be wearing it. But the reality is, it's what you're willing to pay. So how precious are the kids in the children's ministry that you're teaching, or the Bible study you're teaching at your work, or the people that you're sharing with in your neighborhood? How precious are they? Here's how you determine how precious they are. What was paid for them? What was paid for them? It says in this verse, paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The next time you think you're of no value, remember how much Jesus paid for you. Again, he loved you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. And so the encouragement here is that he's exhorting them that, look, the people that you're watching over, Jesus paid for them. Those people that you're ministering to, they belong to the Lord. You're the caretaker over God's kids. You need to take that seriously. Amen? And that's why it's so important. That pastors study to show, them, show themselves approved. A workman need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's, that's why it's important. Whatever ministry you're serving in, you do it as unto the Lord. Because the people that you're serving are people that Jesus died for. Amen? Let's never take that lightly. We're going to be accountable one day for what we did with those that, God, that Jesus died for. Amen? Notice he says there, take heed to yourselves. You know, it begins with ourselves, with our own walk with the Lord, and then to all the flock. Prayer, personal devotions, worship. Minister to the Lord that we might minister to the Lord, uh, for the Lord. And again, how's your own walk? Here's the reality. You're as close to God as you want to be. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if your faith is waning, is that God's fault or yours? And if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen. God doesn't move away from us. He draws us unto himself. So we're as close to God as we want to be. Now, one of my favorite Bible teachers is a man by the name of John Corson. And it's even more now than ever. His wife died in a car accident. Ten years, about 15 years later, his daughter died in a car accident. Just recently, one of his sons died of a brain tumor. And that brother just keeps being faithful. And those are the kind of guys I want to listen to. Amen? Because his faith has been tested and he's being faithful. But that being said, in the midst of all of uh, of those things that he has gone through, he keeps his eyes on the Lord and he remains faithful to, to God and he recognizes the calling God has placed upon his life and he recognizes that the people that he ministers to are so, so precious to the Lord. And people would ask him, Pastor John, I want to have faith like you. He said, you can. Just read the Bible as much as I do. Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by, he said, I have some pastor friends, they go fishing on their day off. 
He goes, I, take, I go down and I, get, I go by the lake, I get a, a, a lounge chair, I sit by the lake and I read my Bible for eight hours and then on the way home I buy some fish at the fish market, right? <laughs> you know, the reality is that, what do we, you know, invest in spending time with the Lord and getting to know him better. And by the way, the Bible rocks, Amen. I mean, it's, it's, nothing, it's just amazing. I love the Bible. It's so incredible. I love the Old Testament. I love just everything about it. And it's so tragic that we can get so caught up in anything else that we don't open it, read it, and obey it. Notice what he says. They were purchased with his own blood. And he says, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves will rise up those speaking perverse things to draw the disciples away after themselves. Now this is true of pastors, but it's true of everybody in this room. If somebody comes in preaching a false gospel or a false doctrine or tries to draw people away, you need to recognize that and address it. Amen? And the only way you're going to recognize a lie is if you know the truth. Amen? We've all heard this analogy that when, it used to be, I don't know if it's still this way, but they, when they would hire tellers, they would just have them touch real money and get to understand real money and they would get comfortable with real money and they never gave them any counterfeits. They just got into where they knew the real money so well that if they touched the counterfeit, oh, that's not real. And guys, the same for us. If we know what this book says, we don't have to listen to any, anything that the world tells us that's contrary to this Bible, amen? I don't want to say this too. We don't need to be tolerant of sin. Tolerance for something that somebody wants to be keeps, them, keeps us from encouraging them to be who the person God called them to be, Amen? God is the one, look, all the attacks that are going on right now, they're all in the book of Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth. People talk about evolution. God made the male and female. People can't figure that out anymore. God created marriage. We want our own design of marriage. All that is an attack on the word of God. And when people come in and preach a false gospel, praise God that you have pastors here and elders here and, and even amongst yourself. Well, when you recognize that, that needs to be dealt with. Amen? You're going to have savage wolves come from the outside. We had some Mormons coming by my house. They, would come, they don't go to my house anymore, but they would come by and I would talk to them. And one of them told me, not long ago, I shared this over the weekend. He said, well, Joseph Smith had to come to fix all the mistakes Jesus made. I thought my head was going to explode. I said, wait a minute. The polygamist who took other people's wives, who was a fairy tale writer, who said he met with the angel Moroni and couldn't find the golden plates that he lost and died in a gunfight, had to fix the mistakes Jesus made? And we had this long discussion. And then I just said, he started walking down the neighborhood. So I said, I'm going to follow you through the neighborhood. You ain't talking to none of my neighbors. You know what I mean? So he starts going, don't talk to them. Amen? We love the Mormons. They need to be saved. But they're preaching a false gospel. Amen? And that's not judgmental. That's standing for the truth. They need Jesus. Mormons are great neighbors, but they need Jesus. Amen? The people that we, we need to stand for the truth. If we don't stand for it, who in the world is going to? Savage wolves come in. And then he says they'll also come from within inside the fellowship. There are people that will come to the church, and they got an ulterior motive. And we need to recognize. What, now, we need to love those people. We want to see them saved. But we can't let them continue in their behavior that's divisive in the body of Christ. Amen? And this is why we need to know what the Word of God says. Dangers among us. People who are ambitious for position and power who will draw people away to a false doctrine. How am I doing on time? Probably time to close right there. So, I told you what I was going to tell you, and I'll tell you what I told you. Amen? So, a pastor's heart, a believer's heart, first should be a concerned heart. Focus on strengthening and encouraging the saints. 
ministering to the physical needs of the church. You know, yesterday when the retreat ended, all these guys gathered together and they're all, you know, many hands make light labor, amen? That's how the body of Christ should work. Everything we do, we should do is unto the Lord. Not only a concerned heart, but a compassionate heart. You know, agape love is where you love someone outside of yourself more than yourself, right? You have those three words for love in the Bible. You have the main ones are eros, phileo, and agape. Eros is a self-centered lust. It's a what can you do for me? And as soon as you stop doing for me, I don't want a relationship with you anymore. So it's very self-centered. It's a, it's a lust that takes. Phileo is the brotherly love that we all have for each other, right? And that's, that's a common bond. But then there's agape, where eros takes, agape gives, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Agape love is his husband, agape your wives as Christ agape the church and gave himself for her. As men of God, we need to love our wives more than we love ourselves. Ladies, you need to love your husband more than you love yourself. And here's the other thing. Both of you need to love Jesus more than you love each other. Amen. And that agape love is what he's talking about. We need to have that kind of compassion where we love people outside of ourselves more than we love ourselves. Each for the other, both for God. I've been married to my wife for 38 years. I love her so much, I can't stand it. And the death of our son has only made our faith stronger. And we love each other because no one suffers. We have three other kids and five, six grandkids we love dearly, but they're not suffering as much as we are. If you're a parent, you get it. It's just something so strong about it. But that being said, you know, we each, each for the other, both for God. And as much as I love my wife, and I, lo I love to introduce my wife to everybody, and everybody always says, dude, you do pray a lot, because my wife is beautiful, and I'm kind of the beast in this program. But the point is that people, but I, the point is, though, that I love her so much, I love to introduce her to people, I love that people know that she's my wife, but I love Jesus more. And I really love to introduce people to Jesus. And unlike my wife, I can share Jesus with you, but I ain't sharing my wife with nobody. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> but there needs to be compassion where we love people outside of ourselves more than we love ourselves. We need to have a Christ-centered heart. Is Jesus, are you married to Jesus? I used to say to the youth group when I was a youth pastor. You know, the Bible says we're the bride of Christ. When, we should live our, day, our lives every single day to bring glory and honor to his name. And then finally, uh, the pastor's heart, the, the spiritual believer's heart, a heart to disciple others. Who are you discipling? Who are you investing in? Hey, guys, some of you guys have been saved longer. Minister to some of the younger guys. Take them out to coffee. Pour your life into them. Same with the ladies, too, right? Some, there's newer moms. Maybe you've, your kids are grown. You can speak into their lives and minister to them. Disciple each other. Then also, uh, a heart led by the Holy Spirit. Don't walk in the flesh. You know, I pray every day to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because I leak. Amen? We all leak. I mean, every day we need to be filled afresh. Jesus said, of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. So if the greatest man who ever lived said there needs to be less of me and more of him, it's certainly true for everybody in this room this morning. Amen? We need to pray daily, less of us, more of him. We need to have a heart focused on eternity. Guys, heaven is better. No matter how great you think heaven is, it's going to blow you away. Amen? Nobody's going to get to heaven and go, this is it? That's not going to happen. We're going to see heaven. By the way, there's streets of gold I don't think we'll notice. We're focused going to be on the throne of God. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. I cannot wait for that reunion with the, my, the, my loved ones and other people that have gone before us. We will know as we are known. We're going to spend eternity with Almighty God. Amen? And guys, heaven's better. We need to focus on heaven. And then have a heart for God's word. 
Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Open it, read it, obey it. Nothing will transform your life more than spending time in God's word. We need to be in prayer, we need to be in fellowship, we need to be in the word. And then finally, a shepherd's heart. We need to have a heart for God's people. Let's, let's protect those from the outsiders that will attack. Again, anybody who comes in is welcomed and loved until they try trying to draw people away from the Lord. And that's when wolves come in and that's when you know, the shepherds are called to, to uh, usher them away. I know this much. I know that you have a pastor that loves you guys deeply. Even though I haven't been here since the day he became the pastor, it was the last time I was here, we talk often, and he loves you guys deeply. And he's so blessed to be your pastor. And you're so blessed that he is your pastor. Amen? And you got other godly men here who are coming alongside and holding up each other's arms. And, and I just love, I, I love you guys already because when we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Amen? We're going to spend eternity in heaven. We might as well start getting along now. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we thank you. I thank you for every person who's here this morning. Again, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, I pray you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Fill us afresh. Lord, I pray for divine appointments and opportunities to share the hope that lies within us. Lord, I pray that we would start praying for people by name. And I pray that even today and tomorrow, there'd be divine appointments, opportunities to share with people the hope that lives within us. I pray for married couples here. I pray that the men would be the spiritual leader in their household they're called to be. I pray that they would love and serve and lay down their lives for their wives. They would uh, provide for them, protect them. Pray for the wives as well, that they would be a, a great encouragement to their husbands, that they would serve together as one flesh. Bless them, Lord. We pray for their children. We dedicate their children to you, that they would grow up to love and serve and honor you. Lord, I pray for this fellowship, that it would continue to have an impact on Mountain View and beyond, that you would use them for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said... Let's stand for a worship song.